Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. I have the absolute pleasure today to be interviewing a Kiwi, yes, a, a fellow neighbor, although we now both live in Denver, Colorado. Jody Wills, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Emma. Thanks very much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I can't wait to chat about so many things around resiliency, leadership, team effectiveness under pressure, one of my favorite topics. Joel is the co-founder and CEO of Americas for Hummingly, which is an organization that upskills leaders, teams, and organizations to thrive in the face of challenge. Uh, Jolly, you've done so much amazing work already around disaster, disruption, including uh, the Christchurch earthquakes. And you really look at some of the key ingredients need to support leaders and teams to thrive in difficult times through the landscape of really giving coaches practical tools, um, which is humming, what Hummingling's all about. So we're going to talk about that and so much more. But first question is the Vegemite question. Now, this could be controversial as you are uh, <laughs> from New Zealand, of course. Um, you either love it or you hate it. What's your take? Yeah, I have to say, Emma, that is a loaded question. Like for those that come from outside of Australasia, you know, you should know that New Zealanders and um, Australians, so Aussies and Kiwis have kind of this like a good natured sibling rivalry. Right? Yes, yes, great way <laughs> to so, describe it. Yeah. Yeah, so in Australia, you eat Vegemite, New Zealand, we eat Marmite, and, you know, we wouldn't be caught dead eating the, the opposite, right, just out <laughs> of principle. So, I mean, my answer, of course, is hate it, because I'd, I'd always take Marmite in its stead, although I, I do like the taste, right? Marmite's just better. Yeah. Um, but a, a funny story relating to that, you mentioned the Christchurch earthquakes, and so that had absolutely devastating, tragic impacts for our city. But, you know, in amongst all of that, there's something about keeping a sense of humor. And one of the impacts of that earthquake was it uh, damaged our Marmite factory, supplying the whole of the country. Oh, wow. And so New Zealand ran out of Marmite after the Christchurch earthquake <laughs> for a couple of years. We called it Mar Marmageddon, right? <laughs> and um, one of the unintended consequences of all of that that was really devastating was that my young daughter started to eat Vegemite, which oh. you know, it's horrifying for a Kiwi. Oh, what a yeah. legend. What a legend. I'm so happy. Can't wait to meet her one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what year I'll, I'll was... I'll give you my, a thumbs down. So thumbs down, thumbs down. Yeah. And what year was the Christchurch earthquakes again? So it started in 2010 with a really large earthquake um, that more than magnitude seven, um, but then it had a series of aftershocks over the period of five years, one of those being the one that is probably the most well-known that happened the February 2011 and claimed 185 lives mm. uh, state of the city. So Devastating, yeah. devastating. Uh, so let's go back to Vegemite, a thumbs down, which means you have to kick it off with your worst coaching moment and what might be a lesson. Uh, so that... Looking back, it was probably in the thick of the work after the Christchurch earthquake. So I was leading a team with a really important role to play in rebuilding this entire city and supporting its population through the process. And as you can imagine, it takes years. It's prolonged stress. It's cumulative. You know, living it at home, living it at work 
And there was a point, you know, with this huge challenge that we were tasked with that I remember a couple of years in just thinking, I am drowning here. You know, that we call it the superhero curse, that idea that the more capable you prove yourself, the more you attract until you have attracted so much that it is just unsustainable and and near on impossible. And it was that moment where I remember thinking, there is just so many balls. There are so many balls in the air and I can't afford to drop any of them and I am drowning, you know? So I remember I remember that moment um, and thinking at the time, having that realization, if I'm in this spot, how can I be the support that I need to be to others? How can I lead others well when when I'm in the spot myself? It's probably the, the low point for me of, you know, one of those leadership moments. Yeah, and a great lesson there around... You know, when we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. I know yeah. that sounds so simple and sometimes I feel like I don't even take my own medicine as well. It's very easy to go, yep, she's the podcast host, she's got it all together. No, I don't. And I think we have to prioritise that self-care now more than ever, don't you think? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's one of those, sometimes the realizations we need to come to are really obvious. For me, I remember thinking one of the biggest learnings that came out of that, we talk about post-traumatic growth, but one of the biggest learnings for me, and it is so obvious on the surface, was that I that idea that our energy and time is finite, right? You, I kept operating like I could just find more energy, find more time. It would just, it just doesn't work that way. And so when you can recognize that and operate from that kind of principle of my energy and time is finite, then I have to be really intentional about where I'm putting those things for the greatest impact. Mm. And then operating from that kind of uh, approach, it was a really transformational moment because I couldn't keep on pretending energy and time is finite. That was not working for me or anyone else. Yeah. Awesome insight. Thanks for sharing that. What about on the flip side, a moment coaching moment that went really well it's probably that same moment you know when when you go from okay I'm drowning here and this isn't working I remember taking a break I remember resetting my priorities and the expectations I remember talking to other peers who had you know um, done some huge disaster work elsewhere and then saying to me you know what you're doing we we have four people who do that here you know, and just having that realization and going, okay, this has to change and just resetting a whole lot of things, taking that break. I mean, that was really important for me, but what was real that I didn't expect, I think, was having the impact of that decision and that approach on the people that I was leading and supporting and coaching, you know, because they were saying, actually, you role modeled something that I really needed to when, you know, when I see that you're doing that, I realize actually I need to, to take a look at, at my own load and and make some calls myself as well by, I guess, you know, role modeling, giving permission and and really um, making it clear that this, this is essential. I think that was probably out of the worst moment, maybe came one of the, the moments that I didn't expect to be really proud of, you know, mm. in terms of the impact it had for others. The other thing that I like that I did myself recently is when I was having a moment, I was it was a really low moment and just, you know, just around a lot of rejections, especially in the speaking world, you and I have spoke about this, this off air, uh, but I reached out to five super positive people, right? And said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Can, what have you got for me? And yes. all of their advice 
with something just a little different, but you know, you just take one thing that can help. And it, and it really did. It really did. So I, I love that you did that. You reached out. Yes. It's like putting out the bat signal, right? And it, and it's seeing that idea when you hit those moments that they're kind of reaching out and saying, Hey, I need some advice, some support. Um, I need a bit of a reset here. That's a sign of professionalism. That's not a sign of weakness, right? Mm. The best leaders, the best coaches, they do that. You know? yep. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> just going off topic a little bit, but this is why computer games are so effective. We just click reset and the, you can start the whole game again, even yeah. though you failed five times along the way. Boom, just click reset and you're off and running. Yeah. Uh, a great little t- even NLP tool, just to, you know, three fingers together, boom, right, I need a reset here. Walk away, come back. Uh, it's amazing how much more clear you can be. All right. Uh, what about your sliding doors moment? Is there one in your life that you could share with us? I think it has to be the earthquakes. So before that, I was working and I'd had a career in mental health and in the disability sector um, and the older person sector. Um, I was a mum with two kids in, you know, um, in a small rural community in New Zealand. And I was on one trajectory you know, clearly in that space. And then these earthquakes happened. And before the earthquakes, I was volunteering on the governance of New Zealand Red Cross. And so after the earthquakes, you know, I, I got pulled in and, and um, you know, volunteered to jump in as you do to, to support. It was my home city, you know, and you're in there helping. And before you knew it, I, I had a job, right? So that wasn't something I anticipated, but it very much changed the trajectory of the rest of our career, but also our personal lives in terms of, you know, what we learned as a family, as individuals, you know, as a leader. Um, yeah, that was very much a defining moment in my life. All right. And can you share a little bit more then post post that to, to what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So our role was very much around supporting the psychosocial um, recovery of people in Christchurch. So to give you a little bit of context, we had that huge earthquake. We had a series of aftershocks. So Emma, do you know much about the aftershocks and how many, this is a question I often ask an audience. So when I'm speaking, so, you know, if you had to put a number out there, um, what would you put out there in terms of number aftershocks that that we experienced over five years? And maybe before you put that number out there, double it and then give it give us a number. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 10. 10, yeah. So add a couple of zeros and oh, you're wow. a little bit closer. So we had 15,000 aftershocks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 15,000, you know, decent-sized aftershocks. And, wow. you know, I talked about one that hit, you know, a, a few months after that claimed um, all of those lives, injured thousands of people, and, you know, it, um, it devastated, you know, the city. The central business district was roped off for two or three years. You know, we had um, most of the most of our housing stock was damaged or destroyed. So it was a really huge impact and living with that constant sense of uncertainty and threat to safety um, and disruption is very much, it's quite similar, there's parallels to what we've had to live over the last few years with COVID. 
you know. So it was very much supporting a population. It was those that lost their loved ones in the earthquakes, those were injured, but also just the wider population with dealing with the complicated long process of rebuilding, everything being harder and longer than what they anticipated, just like COVID, um, and dealing with, you know, that constant sense of uncertainty. So in terms of my my leadership pivot, it was around you know, upskilling very quickly in disaster and everything that comes after, what are the common patterns after disruption. But my biggest challenge, and we'd seen this play out in many different disasters, was preventing burnout of people working in this space. So most people were impacted by the disaster, by the earthquakes. They were working, you know, in a mission-driven, you know, role where they cared deeply about what they were doing, but we knew that they were going to be working in this prolonged pressure environment where there was a lot at stake, not just for weeks or even months, but for years. And so I knew as a leader, we needed to find a way to really support and sustain them. The reality was we threw every well-being solution we could think of and find at this team, and we were still burning them out. We were just burning them out at a rate that was slower than everybody else because we were being really proactive, but we none of us were on a, on a path to anywhere good. And that really formed um, Hummingly and a lot of the work that we do. So Elizabeth, my co-founder, and I both ended up with the Winston Churchill Fellowships. So we did global research, the two of us, looking at the leadership learnings so what do we need to do to support leaders when they are working with teams under pressure? Um, how do we sustain them? But also what are the things they need to know about leading well in this kind of environment? And what are the things we need to do to sustain and support people to, to thrive and do well in pressured environments? Mm. So that's really the genesis of, of Hummingly. And we, we started to see the need for what we do and, and the challenge that we had far beyond the disaster environment. Yeah, yeah. That's a cool story. Uh it cool in terms of what it's led to. Yeah. Um out of out of the adversity of of something like that. And of course I I spent some time in Christchurch just after the you know, after the earthquake. Fortunately I didn't experience any of the any of the aftershocks. Uh but you know, I I did love the way even those shipping containers were turned into these amazing cafes and uh you know how everyone rallied together uh so i got to experience that and i really i love the city and i highly recommend everyone go and visit christchurch it's a cool place so it is. It is. uh all right in one to a maximum of three words what do you think makes a great coach i have to say curiosity um empathy and courage they would be my three mm. okay so curiosity i think I mean, you see this, especially when people are under pressure, but when you're a coach, what you first see, right, and what you first hear is often really clouded by your own experience or your own judgments. And so, you know, if we can suspend those those judgments or um, using the lens of your experience, you can do that most, I believe, you can do that most effectively by being a curious explorer, you know, so I think that's that's the curiosity is, is getting curious. It helps you suspend your own lenses, you know, in a sense. Um, empathy, I think, because people really need to know that you care, right? They need to know that you have their best interests at heart. Um, they need to feel heard. They need to feel valued and cared about. And doing that creates the safe space, you know, for those courageous questions and those conversations that really make a difference. So which brings me to courage, 
You know, it's the courage to be able to ask the questions, um, you know, when the time's right, you know, obviously, but the questions that are going to be those circuit breakers, um, the questions that are going to help people take a really the honest and fresh look at themselves or their situation or to be able to, to see or frame or respond differently to mm. what it's, uh, they're going through. Mm. One of my favorite circuit breaker questions is as simple as, so what's the truth here? Mm. Or, you know, what is it that you're not saying? Yes. Mm. So many other great sort of circuit breaker questions. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of them described as circuit breakers before. I love yeah. that. I'm going to steal yeah. that one. This is I what mean, the I'm podcast a, is all about. It's all good. I'm a cognitive scientist, so, you know, like I'm, I'm – big into some of the biases that that we, you know, and one of the ones we have is plan continuation bias, right? Where we just keep on. And that's why the reset is so important. I could have just kept on trying to juggle way too much. You know, like it's one of those, once you're on a path, it takes a conscious effort to step off that path. And sometimes people need a little bit of a, a nudge or, you know, some of the questions to get people to hold up that mirror to realize hmm, maybe this path isn't the right one, or maybe there's something I need to tweak here. Yeah. Can you say that one more time? Planned what? Plan plan continuation bias. So it's that idea that whatever you already have in action, whatever you already. So it's that, you know, often people will, you'll see it too, you know, that the inertia, I guess it takes, there's, there's there's a gravitational pull to doing what you're already doing, the way you're already doing it, you know? So it takes a lot more effort to be able to step away to explore something different, to look at it from a different angle, to, to take a different approach. Yeah. And sometimes we need to remove ourselves from a certain situation to be able to see things differently, don't we? Yeah. It's like that frog in the boiling water, you know, often, you know, so yeah, coach is really great to be able to say, hey, I think the water's getting pretty hot here. You know, like, have you taken a temperature check lately? Yeah. Versus versus just mm. staying, staying where you are, maybe in a situation or, you know, yep. using an approach that's not particularly healthy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Our last official question is where we ask you to ask us a question. What's that one question that you love to ask of others? This is kind of a little bit meta, but it's that that idea that I'm big on questions. So we have a a workshop in a box for leaders where through the workshop, they are developing their own guiding questions to help them with their leadership. So, you know, like coaching questions are so vitally powerful, which is, you know, really what you're getting at. And same for leaders, right? So we often as coaches ask leaders these questions, um, but it's really useful for for leaders to have questions in their toolkit too. Um, And so for us, you know, um, leadership, well, those questions are incredibly powerful for helping people navigate when things feel a little bit murky or unclear or to help keep them steady when they feel wobbly. So the question I often ask is, is what is your go-to question? Like what is the question you keep in your back pocket that you pull out and ask yourself when you're feeling wobbly or a little bit uncertain? You know, so I'm always, I'm a gatherer of questions because they're really powerful as tools. So that was my, what is your question is my question. That yeah. is brilliant. And of course, Jolly, no one has said that on the podcast <laughs> So we're over a hundred episodes and I've never had anyone ask, what is your go-to question? I adore that one. And I have to even think about it myself, what my go-to question is. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. Mm. I have, do you want me to share mine? 
But I, I was just about to ask, how did you how did you read my mind? <laughs> it's that you know being geographically close, I uh-huh. think, um, across the ditch. So my question is: Are you a martyr or are you a professional? And this comes with a story. So one of again um, a peer support person that I had through this whole. Christchurch earthquake experience um, and part of our Winston Churchill Fellowship. She's a she's a wise, wonderful woman. She, um, Dr. Kate Brady from Australia, you know, and it pains me to have all this wisdom, you know, not claimed from you know New Zealand, but she's a wise. You have plenty of you have plenty of wisdom in in <laughs> Kiwi land. <laughs> Go on. But she told a story about, she said, you know, early on in her career, she had interviewed for a job it was one of her first professional jobs and she said you know Jolie I was nailing it I had all the answers to the questions I was feeling really good like I thought I had it in the bag and then the hiring manager asked me a question I wasn't prepared for and that question of of course is Kate are you a martyr or are you a professional and Kate said oh, I'm gonna need you to explain that a little bit what do you mean and she said well it's quite simple. And she was she was interviewing for a social work job at the time. And she said, it's quite simple. If you're a martyr, you know, I'll, I'll, I have a clear preference as to which you are, but I know, I just want to know how to manage you. You know, I can do either, but I, I have a clear preference, obviously. If you're a martyr, you're going to be the first one here. You're going to be the last one to leave. You're going to fill every gap I have in the roster. You're going to say yes when you probably should say no. There'll be very little boundary between, you know, um, you know, you turning off at the end of your work day and actually taking a break for yourself. Um, and we will do some amazing things together. Like you will run really hard, but you'll burn bright and then you'll burn out. And so there's very little point in me investing a whole lot in you in terms of professional development, right? What I'd clearly prefer is if you're a professional and you'll have some boundaries around your work in terms of, you know, making sure that you you switch off in some way, you will um, say no sometimes when I really want you to say yes. You'll still care deeply about the mission, right? You'll still be very mission focused. Your role model, you know, all of those self-care behaviors that are so important. And you'll really set yourself up to sustain your work. And together we'll have an amazing impact, you know, on what it is we're trying to achieve. And I know that I can invest in you because, you know, it, it's worth it for the long run. So which is it, Kate? Are you a martyr or are you a professional? And quite clearly from the story I told earlier, I'm a recovering martyr. Right? <laughs> so, and and I most of my behavior is more on the professional end most of the time. But it's because I regularly ask myself that question. Am I a martyr or am I a professional, right? And I'm making an active choice as to which I choose to be. So, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. It triggered a story back in my early career where I applied for a job and, I, you know, I had been an entrepreneur all my life. So I actually was going for, you know, for a job in the tennis world. And I had, let me tell you, I had prepared for this interview. I had thought of every question they could ask me, I had answered it, I'd written it down and I put it and I was away. So I was at a hotel. And so I put the answers on this on this double bed. So imagine every single question you can imagine, this double bed was filled with all the answers. And the first thing that happened is that I was in a hotel in Adelaide and the interview was in Melbourne. So there's a half hour time difference, which I just didn't factor in. So I was at the tennis courts and they're like, oh, are you ready for your interview We'll call you back in five minutes. So I race back to the hotel. So I'm running in the door and they asked me something as simple as, you know, what's your coaching philosophy? And I'm like, 
oh, I've got a really good answer to that somewhere on the bed. <laughs> it was like I it was almost the the martyr approach because I'd over prepared yes. for this thing instead of really trusting your instincts, which is relates to being more of a professional. Am I taking on too much? Yes. You know, what is my coaching philosophy? Being able to talk about that. And being able to know exactly what you stand for and what your purpose is, it's now almost in some ways one of the things I love about this podcast is after the official questions are over, which they are, now I can ask you anything I want. And I, <laughs> but I never now learning from that experience as well, long story short, I never prepare, right? It, I, yes, I talk yes. about what comes up. Yeah, where the conversation is meant to go, right? Exactly, exactly. So that that triggered that one for me. All right. I want to first ask about how did you come up with the name Hummingly? Oh, great question. You'll laugh because we started off as McNaughton and Wills. So that uh, McNaughton is Elizabeth, my co-founder's last name. Wills is my last name. And we started, you know, very much helping in the consulting space before it brought us the time to really develop our workshops and our physical products. Um, and so it worked for a time, right, that name. But it really sounds like a couple of lawyers, you know, doesn't it? Does. It does. Yeah. We're like, this is not, this is not the vibe of us. You know, like we are, you know, we work in a very challenging environment where there's a lot at stake, but and it's the cognitive science of it too, you know, like the ways in which we bring the solutions to people cannot be more work when people are already overburdened. You know, it cannot be that sense of this feels too hard. It's it's gotta be things that bring delight that give people hope, that uplift and are practical and effective. And so we're like, okay, what is that? And so we looked, we worked with an agency for a while who would bring out names like Bounce or um, there was a lot of wellbeing type approaches, which are really, really important. But for us, the wellbeing piece was about performance. So we had to have an action component. So that, that positive, good vibe of around that aspirational, where we're headed but it's all about being able to perform and do great things. Um, and so Hummingly kind of had both. We talked about, you know, bounce. When you go through a tough time, there's not a lot of bouncing. You know, when it comes to resiliency, sometimes the resiliency can feel like holding on by your fingernails, you know. <laughs> and so it's that, you know, that realistic, you know, we want to get people humming again. We really want to, yeah, have that that positive, optimistic. That's where we're headed, but in a way that's that's realistic and action-focused. Yeah, so. and also it seems very calming. Like yeah. when you hum, yeah, like hum along. I'm one of those ones. I sing along to everything and I don't know any of the words. So half the time I'm hum- humming, <laughs> hummingly. All right, yeah. and so much more to hummingly uh, than than the name, but I always love a, a good backstory, uh, especially I want to talk about your doing well cards, um, this this pack of cards first of all I love physical products so coaches out there listening uh this is an awesome tool for you to work with your your people um whether you're have a group of a team of people or one-on-one coaching Mm -hmm. highly recommend these cards could you share a little bit more about um the doing well cards and what are they yeah and if you we start from that backstory remember I said we had this team we had leaders and we had teams working under intense pressure and the things that we would typically try just weren't 
cutting it in the kind of environment that they were facing. And we brought back all of that research around what are the impacts of working under prolonged pressure, which is incredibly sobering, but also on the flip side, there's amazing potential for growth, right? So incredibly risky, like hazardous working in a prolonged pressure environment. And that really describes most of the environments people are working in, in this current world, right? So it's a very hazard type environment. And we, we set people up with PPE, you know, personal protective equipment for and training and all the, you know, the approaches that we need for any other hazard. And for us, it's like, okay, we need to get really practical and address the hazard of working under prolonged pressure because the impacts of that can be really incredibly sobering both for the individuals involved for their mission and for their organizations right so um but the flip side is not just preventing harm it's about supporting growth you know which we all want you know so that's the backstory is bringing back that research what are the impacts what are the things that we need to do differently and better and then saying okay we've got a design challenge here because again it can't be more homework it's got to be things that um, are effective and feel doable when the pressure's on, right? We all know that we should eat five fruit and veggies a day and we all know that we should get good exercise and we all know that sleep's important and all of those things are absolutely vital. You know, we, But we all know that and one of the design challenges we set ourselves was trying to bridge the gap between knowing these things and being able to do it when the pressure's on. Because what we find is those self-care practices that are so important just keep falling off the bottom of people's lists. So it's that idea that, you know, there's a gap between intending to do it and getting intentional about it. And so we wanted to create a tool where people could really get intentional and create a plan. So with the doing well, I've got a set here. This is kind of what they, they look like, the doing well. And it's the idea that with a pack of cards, each of the themes speaks to a particular challenge that you'll see playing out in, in leaders or individuals or teams under pressure. But with the pack, people are able to go through, pull out the cards that resonate and create a really intentional plan that is doable when the pressure's on to keep them well and performing under pressure. And there's an accountability mechanism. So it's a, you know, as a coach, you can help keep people accountable um, and or they can have someone else, an accountability buddy you know, as well. Yeah. Um, it's also the tool they can take back and use with their teams because if they're leaders, again, who are leading people under pressure, they are probably looking to you as a coach for what are the things I can take back and help my people with. Mm. Can you give us a practical example? Yeah. So um, if I talk you through a couple of the, the themes, so there's five themes in the pack. Um, each theme speaks to a challenge that you see play out with people under pressure, as I mentioned. So the first theme is the connect theme. So this is the idea that, you know, all the research tells us, and we've seen it play out disaster after disaster, but just in tough times in your life generally, the idea of social capital so it's that idea that actually your close friends, family, colleagues, your social network um, tends to be what the, the greatest resource for getting through people through tough times. So people who have that social network and use it when the tough times are, you know, uh, playing out, they're the people who have better outcomes. They're the people who will perform better, will avoid some of those risks. And so knowing that, you know, we spend a lot of time on education around the importance of that social network. But again, what you tend to see play out, when the pressure's been on for a while, people pull away from their social networks. Like, I'm too tired to have that wine with my friend on a Friday night. You know, I can no longer do that Tuesday night 
you know, sports commitment that I used to because my to-do list is just too unpredictable. Have you seen my to-do list? I've stopped listening, you know, and connecting with others and, I, and I'm no longer to, able to hold perspective on myself or hear what those around me can see that I'm not, you know. And so the connect cards, the idea around you can choose a couple of people in your life and your coach might be one of them, right, that really know you well and have your back and you give them a couple of cards out of that theme, the one that's the ones that really you think will be useful to you under pressure. And um, you're giving that support crew the job of kind of keeping an eye out and giving you a card back when they see that you need it. Your job being doing whatever is on that card. So, you know, it's really powerful to be carded because often it's not a moment that you're, you know, you're, you're really or open to that feedback, but you're setting up the social commitment. So it's, it's mobilizing that social crew that will get people through tough times. And then there's another theme in there um, called damn good decisions. And again, as a cognitive scientist, the impact of stress, um, negative stress, you know, when it's gone on for too long or become too much on our ability to make great decisions is, you know, really um, well documented in the research. And, you know, I've been my own social experiment around all of that <laughs> and led people in really difficult times. So you see how that plays out. But often you're making critical decisions at a time when you're really under pressure and then, um, you know, having to clean up the mess of not having the prefrontal cortex of your brain online, you know, to be, make, to be able to make the great decisions you need to. So in that set of cards, there's a series of questions that you can use to test a decision again. So you can do that as a coach with your client or they can do it for themselves in a quiet moment or they can use them with their team. So, you know, you're pulling from these different themes, all speaking to challenges that people have under pressure, and you're creating a plan um, to help prevent burnout and to set you up to perform under pressure. Um, but they also create, there's a, an activity guide with them, because what we didn't foresee is the amazing ways that people can use them to have well-being or coaching conversations. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. So I highly recommend checking out the Doing Well deck for supporting well-being of coaches uh, and their clients and their teams. Uh, and also there's the workshop in a box. I know you have two of those as well. I, what I love about the concept is you could have a, a HR manager or a, um, a people, a chief people officer could actually facilitate that workshop, uh, the workshop in a box. And it's, it's guided right there because you and Elizabeth, of course, can't be everywhere helping people through these really difficult times. So I love the concept that you've, that you've created. Also, I'm very kinesthetic. So the, the idea of, you know, just deck, deck of cards and being able to, to hand them to different people. And, you know, it's a great concept. Um, so congrats on that. Do you want to just talk to the workshop in a box? Yeah, I just talked to that briefly. And it's, it's the idea that again, You've got leaders who are under under pressure, right? And they might be your coaching clients. And, you know, you're working with them on their leadership and how they are doing is going to have a huge impact on how the people they are leading will do, right? But one of their biggest challenges is often, I understand that I need to support my people and you'll be working with them on, you know, having conversations with their people, all of those pieces, but to make it really easy, you know, not to add extra load, we've packaged a lot of that up for them. So you can be working with them on, you know, their coaching conversations, but they can also go back into their teams and there's a workshop in a box that supports leaders 
so they can bring other fellow leaders together. It's got a lot of the learnings from more than 100 crisis leaders around, and again, your people don't need to be facing a disaster to be experiencing pressure, but around what do we need to know as leaders about leading well through pressure? You okay. know, and how do we need to sustain ourselves? On that note, I have to ask them, what are your top three? I know there's a hundred different, but what, what are your top three tips for leaders out there who are coaching their people and they're having a tough time? Um, I think the first one is knowing that where they're at is going to determine how their people are. So there's a there's a story for that one. Again, it's one of those questions that I talked about le- leads to one of those guiding questions. One of the people we interviewed on our Winston Churchill Fellowship was an amazing leader who had had a phenomenal reputation. Her achievements were just incredible. It was one of those, you know, you could not believe we had the opportunity to interview her kind of people. And um, on the day that we were due to interview her, we got a message from her to say, hey, I just need to let you know that I'm not in the office today. I'm at home. I'm actually off on stress leave. And um, we sort of went back, as you can imagine, we really don't need to do this today. We can reschedule or we don't need to do it all. You know, clearly this is not a good time. And she said, no, you need to come see me now more than ever. So we went and interviewed her at her home and she took us through the very sobering story of the impact of burnout for her she had just hit that saturation point and pushed way beyond it and um, what it had meant for her health her relationships her career Um, and it was an incredibly sobering story and at the end of that she said you know this isn't even the scary thing and we're like well what is scarier than that she said when I was forced off that treadmill my body couldn't do it anymore and I had to get off that treadmill It actually made me stop and I turned around and I looked at my team and I realized they were only two or three weeks behind me in terms of burnout. And so the question, you know, we often um, encourage leaders to have in amongst their list of guiding questions is where am I at? Because that's where I'm leading others to, right? Um, So are we leading people to a place of burnout, chaos, calm, you know, um, balance, performance, you know, what is what does all that look like? So the first one is is really acknowledging how hard it is for leaders to look after themselves because they're often thinking about their people, but how vital it is and that that story and that question is often a really helpful thing to cut through that, you know. And so that was how this interview started. That yeah. was your story too. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Very okay. much very much so. So the first one is is how your leader is doing like having what is their plan for sustaining themselves do they have the awareness as to how they're doing and what they need to be able to sustain themselves as a leader mm-hmm. and it's often an endurance piece right mm-hmm. so what is their what is their setup so setting them up well the second one um i would say and we talked about this before is having a crew like who are the mm-hmm. perspective checkers Who are their wise heads? Who are their truth tellers? Who are their people they can be vulnerable with? You know, and you will be one of them as a coach. But who else do they have? Maybe there's a peer in a similar position in another organization or a mentor that they had in the past or, you know, a a colleague. So um, having that support crew, because as we know, as we talked about before, that is one of the most critical things for people to be able to do and thrive um, and be well in, in pressured environments. Yeah, and, and I love. I yeah. just think I'd just jump in quickly to say, yeah. it, when you just describe that, it's not just who are your five support people. It's almost your your different types, your truth tellers, and your 
your wisdom leaders, your coaches, your colleagues. So, you know, being able to list a couple of people in each column, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, is exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. And then the first, third one would be having that set of leadership questions, right? What are those questions that you can pull out when things feel uncertain, when things feel um, wobbly, when you feel overwhelmed, or when you're at a bit of a crossroads, you know, um, and you need a bit of a compass? Yeah, having that set of questions, leadership questions, which is part of what, you know, what is developed as part of that that leadership workshop in a box. Go on, give, give us one. Give us one more. What What is an <laughs> example of one of those leadership questions? There's, I mean, we've talked about where you're at and where you're leading others to. Are you a martyr or are you a professional? Um, the other one that we often encourage people to at least think about is what is most important to you in your life and what do you need to do to protect that? Because what we see under prolonged pressure is, you know, people get very task oriented, which is, again, the cognitive science of it. And we step up to a challenge and we throw everything at it. And we often put on hold um, some really vital things in our life, thinking that this challenge is just going to be a temporary thing. And when it turns into something that is longer and harder than what we anticipate, and we put on hold our health basics, the things we do to nurture our relationships, you know, um, that time reading our kids' stories in the evening if you're a parent, you know, some some of those really vital things in your life, um, the things that give you joy, you know, that if you have put some of those things on hold for a long period of time, we've seen the tragic impact of people coming out the other end of doing, you know, we, we can't put our relationships on hold in terms of not nurturing them for a prolonged period without there being an impact. Same for our health, same for parenting, all of those things. And we've seen what happens when people take that approach. So keeping the things that are really vital in your life front and centre and thinking, what do I need to do to protect them and to keep them you know, well and, and well-functioning and looked after through pressure is really important. So, you know, doing an audit, for example, of your calendar and your diary those things that are most important in your life, are they reflected in there? Are they on your to-do list? Why are they going to get bumped off all the time, you know, with, with tragic impacts? Um, yeah, that would be another one. Well, with curiosity, empathy, and courage, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to work on holding my planned continuation bias uh, with connection, damn good decisions, and my support crew. Jolly Wills, you have been just a pleasure. I feel like we only just scratched the surface of your uh, amazing knowledge. So everyone, please check out her website and uh, follow Jolly Wills because she's just awesome. And I'm so happy she's in Colorado and uh, we get to hang out more frequently and build that bridge between Australia and New Zealand. Uh, although I do love the All Blacks. I feel like I cheer for them half the time um, and the ethos of what they're all about. But uh, anyway, look, on that note, thank you for being on the coaching podcast and keep doing what you're doing. You too, Emma. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by The Samson Agency, a boutique talent agency managing entertainers, artists, and athletes. You can learn more at thesamsonagency.com. And if you're interested in becoming a coach, check out opendoorcoachingusa.com for all our latest courses in Leader as Coach and our High Performance Workplace Coaching Certification. 
that if you enjoyed this episode of the coaching podcast please share it with a fellow coach and thanks for listening